Thank you for joining us here this morning at Journey. I know it's been kind of tough for us to get here. We were praying for the accident a little bit earlier, but we're going to go ahead and pray again before we get started here. Um, just thanking God again that fact, for the fact that we're not alone and that he's here with us and wants to minister to us. So let's pray for his guidance and his direction this time. God, we thank you so much that you are present here, God, that you are looking to work and move in us. What a joy that it is to know that we can meet you here, Lord, as your people. Lord, I pray that the things that are spoken by me, God, would be acceptable in your sight. I pray, Lord, that the things that we ponder in our hearts and our minds as we listen would be glorifying and honoring to you and would draw us to your Son. God, always remind us of our foundation and our firm footing in you. God, you are our security. You are our peace. And so we trust in you and we thank you for that. And Lord, we do remember the people who were hurt out there on the road. God, be close and near to them. Help them to be uh, restored and healed in every way. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray, amen. Well, have you ever had something taken from you? And that was not really a great thought, actually. Uh, unfortunately, some of you may have experienced having a wallet or a purse stolen, maybe a phone or a car. I hope not a car. That's kind of awful. You know, that feeling that you get when you have that happen, when you realize what you've lost, that sick feeling in the bottom of your stomach. It's just the worst. But there are things that are, you know, not by no means is a car easy to replace, but there are things that are even harder to replace, things that might seem intangible but are very real. Um, think about that relationship that you had that maybe you've lost over time. Think about that job that provided that security that you thought would always be there. Your health, maybe, something that you took for granted for years but has left you. Or possibly even as you think about that opportunity that you might have had that slipped through your fingers that you thought would always be there for you. What are we doing when these things are taken from us? Where do we go when someone has stolen the hopes that we've had for our lives. Many of you may have heard my testimony last week. You may have heard, well, it wasn't last week, but it was a few weeks ago, when I was talking about uh, my addiction to online gaming. And it stole almost everything from me in so many ways. Ultimately, it stole my future, though. And it took that away from me because of how I was just feeding into it. But it kept the one thing that could have saved me from that, and that was my relationship with Christ at bay, because it just took up all my time. You see, we live in a broken and fallen world that wants to keep Christ away from us. Genesis tells us as much as we look back at the story of the fall. God, the ultimate maker of all things, including us, makes them good and gives them to us. And life was to be intended to be. And then Satan twists his intentions and turns us from God and takes all that he had offered us. But instead of leaving us like that, Jesus comes, God in the flesh, and he comes and restores us into everything that God had for us. You see, Jesus makes a way to bring hope to our brokenness. He makes a way to provide a future when our path has been shattered. Satan only takes what God has made in our lives if we let him. You know, Peter warns us of this reality in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Satan hasn't stopped trying to take us from uh, take what God's given us or continues to give us. Yet notice that Peter doesn't say be afraid. He's not saying we have to be scared. He's just reminding us of a reality we can face because what Jesus has done uh, because of what Jesus has done in our lives. 
Now, Jesus also reminds us of both those realities in John 10.10. He says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. You see, Jesus is telling us something that is true across all time and existence. What he says here was true in the fall. It was true in his day when he was speaking it to his disciples. And it's true for all time, for us now. See, in the garden, God acted immediately after the fall by clothing Adam and Eve to remove their shame. And he acted ultimately by clothing us in Jesus' perfect righteousness to remove our sin. But why doesn't he act amid all the hurt we see now? We live today in a broken world full of injustice and pain. And where is God acting while all these things are happening around us? I see, you see, I think Jesus has a plan for this. And I think he shares it with us in Matthew 16, 13b through 19. And he's talking to his disciples and he says, who do people say the son of man is? That's talking about Jesus. And they say, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah and Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, you may already see where this passage is going, but hang with me for a minute because I have a couple things I want to unpack for us out of this that I believe deal with how Jesus is trying to confront sin in this world. Deals with how we see all these things that are around us. So first, Jesus wants us to respond to him personally as Savior and as God. Jesus asked the disciples, who do you say that I am? He doesn't say, who am I really? He could have said that. Jesus demands a personal position from them. He, they have to make a choice about who he is. Peter's response is that you are the Christ, which in that time is a Greek word for Messiah, which is also known as a Savior. And those can be people, just normal people around. But he doesn't say that you're just a Savior. He says you're Savior, the Son of the living God. You see, when we see Jesus as our Savior, as God's Son sent to remake a relationship we lost with him in the garden, we can then have access to the grace and experience that relationship again with God. And this leads to the second thing I see in this passage, which is twofold. First is that through God's revelation, Peter understood this. It wasn't of his own doing. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. See, God wants us to know, God wants to know us intimately. And in the midst of this relationship, we can hear and understand his direction in our lives. As Peter was living and learning from Jesus, he was growing closer to the Father as well. And it was in this closeness, in that relationship, that he was able to sense God's direction and be able to respond to it. And in the midst of that response, the second thing comes. Jesus gives him God's power, the keys of the kingdom of heaven. That sounds pretty powerful to me. See, God isn't looking for us to perform from our limited ability and strength. Far from it. God's empowering us for something we couldn't possibly accomplish on our own. And thirdly, we see what God is 
uh, saving, directing, and empowering us to do through the mission of the church. We're supposed to overcome evil with good, y'all. We are supposed to be attacking the gates of hell. That is who we are called to be. The whole church is on a mission to defeat the work of the devil in this world, and it's all about who Jesus is. It says, on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. It was Peter's confession that Jesus is not only Savior, but God's Son. And in the midst of that power, we are transformed and sent on a mission, a mission that turns us into the light from which the darkness flees as we surrender to Jesus and join with our brothers and sisters as his body to live out his love that he expresses to us so freely. You know, Jesus reminds us of this reality in Matthew 5, 14. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under the table, but they put it on top so that it gives light to the whole house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so they may see your good works and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. What an amazing turn of events. Look, we were broken and lost, having no hope, having everything taken from us, and now we're restored in Jesus and given the ability to share in his work, making real his love to the world, not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus has done within us. You know, we're going to be taking communion in a few moments, and we're going to be worshiping some more. But I want to encourage you in this time of communion, in this time of meditation, to really ask God, what is he empowering you? What is he directing you? Who is he directing you to love and to share his love with? Is it someone at school? Is it someone at your work? Is it someone at home that you just know that needs God's love? I want you to take that time before him and pray about that and consider that. You know, next week as a church, we're looking to tangibly express the light and love of Jesus through Serve the City. It's not too late to get involved with this event. There's a sign-up table in the back corner. If you feel like God's calling you to take a step of faith and to try to love someone radically, to change this world, to make a difference, you know, in, in the life of someone else who's feeling as lost and broken as we once did, then this is a great place to start to step out in faith, to engage and to let God show you how true and real his power is in your life. You know, as we come to this table this morning, let's remember and proclaim Jesus' work in us, his work in restoring us in relationship to God and giving us the power and love that we never thought we could ever have. And let's do that so that we can take part together in his work in the world. You know, in a moment, the ushers are going to come forward and they're going to pass the elements, the bread and the juice. And I just want to go ahead and remind you just to take that time in prayer and contemplation and remember the Savior who's loved us with his very own life, who's given us his all, and, and done that so that we can be part of what he's doing today, so that we can respond to the hate and to the pain with love and hope that doesn't come from ourselves. It comes from Christ. What a joy that is. Let's not miss that as a church. Let's not miss that for the people that live around us because they need it just as much as we do. Lord, we thank you for this chance to be here at this table. We thank you for this chance to hear from you. Lord, we pray that as we're reminded 
of your sacrifice that has changed everything for us, that you would go ahead and lay on our heart the next step that you have for us to take. Not the plan forever, because we want us to walk with you step by step, but that you just lay on our hearts the next step and that we keep on coming back and asking you, God, what's the next step? And we keep on having faith and making that journey forward. We love you, God, and we thank you for this time together. In your name we pray.